Shannon and Brian Miles fell in love when they were young, got married, started a family, and each started building their own successful careers. But a series of unexpected experiences led them to completely reevaluate what they wanted out of their lives and the way they wanted to both earn a living and contribute to the world. So they pretty much blew everything up and went out on their own, starting a new venture together at what some might argue was the worst possible time. And you'll hear what we're talking about in the conversation with the goal of creating freedom by building a company that helped others create freedom, especially others who were in business. Not a bad vision, right? Their passion is all about empowering small business owners and entrepreneurs to be more efficient as they achieve success in business and life. And having now generated more than a hundred million dollars in revenue as the co-CEOs of Belay Solutions, a virtual staffing company, they have graduated themselves to co-chairs where they're stepping into kind of a more of a, an educational role, sharing what they call their own not run philosophy that led them to build their own company. I was fascinated not only by their story, but by their approach to building businesses that are in service of both a bigger goal and vision, but also their desire to live life a very specific way. Since that has also always been a large part of my aspiration, and I imagine many of our listeners too, really to build something that truly matters while also doing it in a way that puts family and flourishing at the center. So quick note too, this conversation, like a few of the others we have recently released, was originally recorded in our studio in what we've now come to know as before times. We'd been holding it until it felt like a more accessible conversation. And with so many people now reflecting on how to create their own endeavors or build existing companies in a way that really builds freedom into the DNA of what they're creating, it felt like the right time to actually share it with you now. So excited to share this conversation with you. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Good Life Project. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. My junior year, I met this lovely freshman uh, that came in and I was googly eyed immediately you know it's just like wow look at this girl and it's interesting because we've worked backwards on our stories and we've actually intersected before we even knew it no kidding yeah, yeah. uh well i used to to pay the bills i worked on a uh, lawn care company that um basically did huge um graveyards and so i would trim headstones and then there was this one place that he had this random account where there was assisted living next to a ponderosa do you know what Ponderosa is? I do, yeah. Yeah. And so there was this really, like one time, this really beautiful girl in there that was working. I never talked to her. And I'm almost convinced it was her. So you're outside trimming the hedges, like around well, we, Ponderosa. Yeah, we, we, we stopped, stopped, for, lunch. And, we stopped okay. for lunch. And I'm like, I couldn't keep my eyes off this girl. I didn't know who she was and didn't talk to her. But I'm like, I, and she said this. I'm like, wait, it's that one? I'm like, I, that's got to be you. And I was the only person who worked there who was under like 35. So yeah. I just assume it was me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
I wasn't chasing older women. I was just like, I just, she just stood out. I was 15 yeah. at that time. Yeah. And so I worked there for two years. And during that course of time, I started dating a guy named John, really nice guy. He was a year older than me, a soccer player, went off to college and met Brian. Played so John and Brian were friends, right? Yeah. And once again, going backward in our timelines, we realized that when I was set up on my blind date with John, Brian was there. No kidding. No yeah. kidding. <laughs> it, I met I mean, was, him at the same time. Yeah. And it was cool. I mean, it, they had a, you know, they got to connect and everything it was cool. Like, there was no, you know, there's no friction or anything like that. And, you yeah. know, you respect a buddy that's going to go, you know, but I'm like, oh, she's cute, you know? And then, um, but then you guys just, it didn't work yeah, out. Yeah. Nice guy. Just didn't work out. So fast forward to 95 in the fall of that year. So I graduated from, you know, high school in the spring. Went to school, 17 years old, move-in day. Mm -hmm. I see John again. I'm like, hey, John, how's it going? He's like, great. Hey, we're all going to go bridge jumping, which in this tiny town in Ohio, like, that's what, what else do. are you going to do? You're going to jump off of a bridge. And and that's really where Brian and I first connected, even though we had you know met or seen each other a couple of times before. And yeah. I just thought he was so cool. I was like, oh, this guy from San Diego, he's a soccer player. So cute. <laughs> I had my earrings in. He had his excellent blonde yes. hair. Do you remember what kind of earrings they were? They were golden hoops. But I had like, you know, fake blonde hair. It was longer. You know, I just, I played the part. Uh, but I, so the, the bridge that we're just, Shannon's talking about, it's a 20 foot high bridge that jumps into a moving river. And then there's one section you climb this old rickety thing up to 40 feet and jump in. And so I'm like, all right, I'm just going to go up to the, because I'm not afraid of heights. I just went right up there. And I, all of a sudden I see her coming up and I'm like, oh, this is interesting. And so. Because no girls were going up. I was like, I got to be the girl. Together. And I mean, I was really attracted to her. So I, I just, she got up there and we were talking up there and I just said, hey, um, I just want to let you know if, if I don't make it, I, I think you're fantastic. I like you. And I just, I just jumped. He jumped. He left me up there. myself. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, well, we'll see if this works. But on the way down, I hit the water so hard my pants ripped. <laughs> I wondered if you were going to tell him that. Yeah. It was an uncomfortable moment for a few reasons. <laughs> so then I jumped after him yeah. and he had to leave because his shorts were so torn. Like, couldn't couldn't hang out anymore. And we just, we just sort of hit it off from there and... Never look back. Yeah, we've been jumping off things ever since. No kidding. That's that is amazing. I've been. I mean, it's funny. It's it's a funny moment. It's a cute moment, and at the same time, it also says so so much more about who you each are individually. Yeah, and also your willingness to sort of stand in your own identity and also step into the abyss. <laughs> yeah, which is which is kind of amazing. So you end up um, you end up dating. Um, eventually, I mean, clearly it worked. <laughs> it did. <laughs> um, at, when when did you guys end up married? Two years in, so we got married in ninety seven. So when you're still in school, or like right. right around when you're about to graduate? No. So um, that that same fall, my dad developed lung cancer, mm. and for a few different reasons, I just didn't feel like it was right for him to help contribute with college, and because the scholarship covered a certain amount, but the rest I we need to cover. It was a pretty expensive private school, and. I just said, I'm going to go work full time and then figure out a way to go to school at night. And in that same time, I'm like, gosh, I feel like an adult. We should just get married. Uh, <laughs> was it that romantic when he proposed? <laughs> it was just like that. Yeah. Here's another bridge. Let's jump. I, I mean, really, we didn't date very long before we got engaged. It was only seven, seven months. Nine months. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and we were young, right? So, um, we got engaged in, I guess it was April of 96. God, was it that fast? Mm -hmm. Dang. And then, but we, yeah, that, yeah, that's right. Because then we got married May of the following year of 97. And during that course of time, my stepdad developed lung cancer too. So yeah. for, it was the craziest time ever for a year, both of them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Had lung cancer and they died in 99 and 2000, respectively. I, like a year. Exactly a day. a day. I mean, one year to the day. Yeah. It was surreal. 
So the first couple of years of our marriage were really hard for so many reasons. Yeah. We were so young. We were finishing school. He was working full time. I was working part time. Our dads were sick. We were worried about our moms. We had, you know, taken on all of our college financial responsibilities. And it was it was a really rough go. Yeah. I had a um I had a college advisor that I, I could afford basically like low income housing. And I was in between jobs and I just was broke, you know, mm-hmm. just trying to make it work. And and um I, I think we were engaged at that point. Mm-hmm. And um this really great couple, Clint and Colleen and they basically came to the door with like a bag full of groceries, like a like a whole thing, and just brought them in and filled my fridge up and pantry. And I was like, "That's the most kind thing." I'm and humble, you know. I was humbled by yeah. it too, you know. But it it really it touched me so much. Like it meant the world to me that, that they were just meeting a practical need that I had. I was hungry, mm-hmm. and I didn't have much money, you know. And uh, you know, that's basically, you know, I I could see how her mom and dad would be like. You know, what's so special about this guy, <laughs> you know? Uh, but uh, yeah, it was just a really hard time, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm wondering also, Shannon, the, um, it's a hard time emotionally. I mean, with also experiencing illness and, and someone you love and then loss, um, but also financially. Mm-hmm. Were you also, because you have this other layer of seeing your parents push to the point of almost separating um, in no small part because- of uh, the financial constraints. W- was your mind going to that same place at all at that time with you guys? Yeah, I, I guess it was. Um, you know, because we graduated in 99 and had like $50,000 worth of debt. Yeah, we were totally saddled in student debt. Yeah. You know, and this was, you know, we're making a lot of money in 99. You know, <laughs> we graduated with our degrees. And so it was, it felt like a big, elephant sitting on our chest of responsibility and debt. And we continued sort of in that mode of spending beyond our means and trying to, you know, establish our careers, but taking on too much credit card debt for the first couple, three years. Yeah. Even after our move to Atlanta. And, and I think it was at that, like we hit a point where we started realizing the effect that poor financial decisions we're having on our relationship. It was the source of all the fighting. It was the source of all the stress. It was, you know, we were like, this has to change. We can't continue in this place without ultimately reaching the faith that my parents almost reached. So we didn't want that for ourselves. So we really got serious about getting our finances straight and getting out of debt. And coupled with the fact that I had got laid off from a job. Yeah. (laughs) And... It was, you know, we, oh, yeah, we, I try to forget about that part too. We, we finally felt like we were making a dent, making some progress. And then kind of the, the, the dot bomb era kind of, you know, came and went and I was working for a software company that, you know, just, it was one of those things and it was good money, but then it just evaporated, you know, and, and here I was now and she had fortunately a really good job. I'm working for a large fortune 10 company and, um, I just was, I was just in a crap situation. I don't know how to say it. You know, it's like, man, you know, you, you know, and especially when you're a young guy, you, 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 you wrap a lot of your worth around your job and providing for your family. And, and, uh, it was really hard, but we, we just decided that we were going to prioritize giving. So I took unemployment from the state of Georgia and we just decided that we would give a certain percentage of that away. We started um, tithing. Tithing. At that point. Was, yeah. And, we just said, okay, well, we can't do like 10% or like that, but we can start with 2%. And we were just consistent. And it started, I can't, it's hard to explain, but we just started, debt just started to be erased. Like we just got priorities right. We started giving, saving, saving and then living on the rest. Yeah. So give, save, live. And we've taught these principles to our kids, you know, as well, is that mm-hmm. you give right away, you save right away, and then you live off the rest. And you decide, you know, that we'll give you some suggestions on those percentages. And we just reoriented how we spent our money. And um, we still hold true to that today. And like the first amount of the distribution goes straight out to giving. Do you remember, Brian, like, I know there was a metric, like we had a certain amount of debt, and then it took us a certain amount of time to pay that off Mm -hmm. once we implemented this. Do you remember? It was four years, and it was about $80,000. 
which, you know, was quite a bit of money back then. It's quite know? a bit of money now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. um, it's a really interesting also because I've had conversations with people so, a number of times over the years where the, the line of reasoning kind of goes, when I get to this place yeah. where I have enough excess, that's when I'll start to, you know, like, whether you call it tithe, philanthropy, donation, sure. right. just, you know, whatever it is, like, okay. I'm going to take a bit of money and give it here. Um, and what's interesting is, and, and I will, look, I'm, I'm never going to shame or blame anybody for the choices that they make. And some people are in such genuinely dire financial straits yeah. that is quite literally impossible, mm-hmm. at least from a financial standpoint. Mm-hmm. But, it, but I always do find it curious where I think that number for, for a lot of other folks is the equation is is different, um, and and the research around giving is kind of fascinating, which shows not only just somebody who receives from uh, another person or entity, whatever benefit, but there's this phenomenon called the giver's glow, yeah. where psychologically there's something that shifts physiologically and psychologically within you, and if you are somebody who's inclined towards spirituality or metaphysics or whatever it is, you may also believe that extends out into something else as sure. well. But it is interesting to to note that even the smallest little thing, even if it's, if it's, it doesn't have to be money, it can be service, it can be a tiny little act, it can be like the yeah. smallest gesture, it helps somebody else, but it also, it flips a switch in, in you. Mm-hmm. Um, you perceive, because it changes, it starts to change your identity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that starts to make you behave in like a thousand microscopic ways differently in the world and people perceive that and you differently. It's it's amazing to sort of mm-hmm. like see how that whole chain reaction unfolds. It it changes the posture of your heart, you know, like whether you whatever your faith is or if you don't have one or whatever, just you communicate what you value by where you give and where you not only with your money but with your time. Like you communicate what you value in that. And so for us, you know, we value all sorts of things that we now give to or not just with money but with time too. So those are the greatest mm-hmm. indicators of your of a person's heart and where they're trending is those those things. And so we've just felt very fortunate to be in a position like that. And it really has impacted the posture of how we approach life. We stopped fighting we about did. money too. Oh, that's you know, it was a it was a healing change yeah. in our relationship. Truly. And I don't yeah. think we knew at the time what getting our finances straight would enable us to do down the road. It just felt like we had to make a change then in that moment. And that was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. But the truth is if we had not made those hard decisions and started giving and saving and then living off the rest and really get out of debt, we would have never been able to start the company that we did in 2010 right. yeah. ever. So, so it takes you four years. You guys finally get to sort of like neutral. Mm-hmm. Um, Shannon, you're still working in sort of like the, the healthcare biz. Yeah. Um, and Brian, are you, I, what are you up to then? I, uh, I took a very interesting job. I uh, was in sales for a company that built and renovated churches around the U.S. Oh, wow. And um, it's a, like a 40-year-old company. And it was just made sense for me, you know. And, and I did that until I got promoted. And I oversaw 10 guys. I did about $40 million a year in sales. So you both get to a point where not only is the ship righted, but things are starting to get pretty good. Yeah. Things yeah. are solid. Like, you both have solid careers. You're working. Yeah. It sounds like mm-hmm. you like the work you're doing. Um, you become parents, yeah. two little kids. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like that becomes the real inflection point for a, a pretty radical change in the way that you chose to earn your living. Yeah. So in 2000, I joined McKesson, which was the medical software company you mentioned. I started out in legal there, moved into sales, and was like finally in the territory that I had worked to get to. Loved it. Loved my job so much. And so got out of debt, you know, we're cruising along. Hey, let's have a baby. Wouldn't that be great? (laughs) Let's just, things are great. Let's just throw a baby into the mix. Um, And the plan was to, you know, go back to work. I was selling, he was selling. We loved our jobs. Never imagined not working. We'll get a nanny. It'll be great. And the pregnancy was good with Rainy up until a point. And then I had to be on bed rest and, you know, we had some complications, nothing long-term. She's fine. But during my maternity leave, which I was very fortunate to have three months, uh, we found our nanny and, you know, implemented the plan. And then I went back to work and I was like, oh, 
I didn't think I was going to love this baby as much as I do. Like, ouch, my heart. And we tried to sort of settle in knowing a lot of it was probably just like postpartum and all the things, you know, but even after about four months of being back to work, it just became clear that this situation was not sustainable. I couldn't travel. He couldn't travel, you know, both being out of the house, brand new baby with a nanny it, for us. It just, it wasn't going to work. Yeah. So that really, that was a really difficult decision, but I felt like in, in that season, an opportunity opened up for me at McKesson that I wanted to pursue, which was more of a part-time role that I thought I would just, you know, eventually just stay home. You know, I could phase out my job and finish well and be a stay-at-home mom, even though, honestly, I never wanted to stay at home. I just didn't want to work as much. (laughs) So I would have loved to have found like this part-time in-between thing that lasted, but I didn't think that was going to be possible. So um, this was 2005 when she was born. So I ended up being able to negotiate this part-time role and thought it would be temporary. And it kept working for the next six years through the birth of our second child in 2008. And it was this part-time work at home, part-time in the, in the office role that became the model that we used when down the road we decided to start our organization. It was really that structure that said, hey, there's other people who need to have more flexibility and freedom in their jobs too. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lumi. So listen, we have all had those awkward moments where a BO strikes at the worst possible time. I'm often actually out in nature when I'm exercising, so I don't even notice it when I'm out. And then I walk in the door, kind of start to wrinkle my nose, and then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. That's actually me. That is why I'm so thankful I discovered Lumi Whole Body Deodorant. This revolutionary product, it was actually invented by an OBGYN who wanted a solution for her patients struggling with private odor. But Lumi doesn't just work, quote, down there. It provides incredible 72-hour protection for your entire body using mandelic acid. I kid you not, this stuff is a game changer. Lumi is safe and effective for pits, for feet, you name it. And as someone who's tried it, I can attest that it seriously works. The fresh scents are just an added bonus. So if you're ready to say goodbye to BO for good, try Lumi's starter pack. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice like mini body wash, and deodorant wipes and free shipping. As a special offer for our listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with the code GOODLIFE at lumideodorant.com. Don't miss your chance to experience the relief of true full body freshness. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit lumideodorant.com or just click the link in the show notes and use the code GOODLIFE. Good Life Project is sponsored by Quince. So my wife actually originally introduced me to Quince because she loves their clothing and I have been hooked ever since. I literally lived in their Mongolian cashmere ribbed beanie and pullover hoodie pretty much all winter. And as the weather warms up, I wanted more breathable summer pieces without overpaying. And Quince has just the super high quality items like linen shirts, performance polos, activewear at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Quince partners directly with top factories, cutting out the middleman to pass savings to customers. Actually just ordered a new European linen long sleeve button down shirt. Super excited to get that. And I'm always just so amazed at how they can keep their prices so affordable while the quality remains really high. So if you're looking to upgrade your wardrobe, I highly recommend you try Quince. Go to quince.com slash GLP 
for free shipping on your order and a 365-day return. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash G-L-P to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash G-L-P or just click the link in the show notes. Trust me, your wardrobe will thank you. That Those six years modeled for you how you felt in a particular role. And also, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, like the light bulb goes on, well, if I feel this way, yeah. <laughs> yeah. how many thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of other people, you know, like feel this way too and would love to have some sort of similar situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you're still a young married couple with two kids now mm-hmm. raising a family. So you do the, the logical next move which is both quit your jobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At the, at the height of the Great Recession, no right. less. Yeah. Right. So, so tell me how this <laughs> tell me how this happens because yeah. that's a big decision. Again, against the backdrop of sort of like your financial history yeah. and your family's financial history. So in early 2010, by that point, I was on a management team at that company. I was literally on six to eight flights a week. Oh wow. And the kids were two and five. And I just didn't I wasn't home much. You know, and I just didn't feel like a responsible father, coupled with the fact that that spring on a vacation I had read Made in America, it's the story of Sam Walton. And, you know, he started Walmart when he was 38 and I was 35, you were 32. And we're like, I feel like, you know, if, we're, if there was a time that we were going to do something, it's, it's kind of got to be now because we're going to get comfortable in careers and, you know, and mm-hmm. it was just this inflection point of like, we need to probably consider something. So. And we'd always talked about, yeah. man, we, we should have our own business someday. We, yeah, sh- we should start something of our own. Yeah, not really knowing what that should be. But you know, I had this idea, you know, um, you know, the four-hour work week was a wonderful book. And it pointed to these virtual assistant solutions that are all overseas. And yet I looked at my assistant who was in Charlotte and then me in Atlanta. I had a virtual assistant already, you know, and... Uh, like this seems like this could work like for other people and i had i was very networked around churches in the, in the country and i'm like i know a lot of pastors that could do this like it just seemed like it could be a thing and so we in that summer we just decided we were going to make a go of this after doing due diligence we asked a lot of really mm-hmm. successful business people hey this is what we were thinking you know our family and our friends thought we were nuts unemployment was 9.6 percent. <laughs> we were going to yeah. leave jobs that Easily equaled two hundred fifty thousand of income for us. Healthcare, right? And this is a year after the worst year in the U.S. economy since the Great Depression. That's exactly right. But anybody that was successful in business, they were like, "Yeah, you should do it." Yeah, and which is counter to what we knew and and the folks we loved, and you know, and um, we were just like, "Okay, well, let's you know." So literally October first of two thousand ten, which is my birthday, by the way, within an hour of each other. We walked in and gave notice to our employers. That was planned, I'm assuming. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I called her. I'm like, hey. Uh, Are we really doing this? With, Is it a go? Let's go. You know? <laughs> okay. Let's do it. <laughs> so we worked really hard to finish well because we needed our jobs back. You know, if this didn't work out. Yeah. Um, she was on payroll for another 60 days. I wrapped up in about 45 days. And so December 1st of 2010 was our first day of our new company. What's that like for you? I Well, first... It- Explain what this company is, because Shannon, you kind of hinted at okay, so you identified this need, yeah, based on just the way that you were living and what you saw was possible. And yes, there's got to be a lot more people like me. Mm-hmm. But tell me, tell me more about what this actually, what the idea is. Initially, um, we started offering a couple of things: uh, virtual assistance, which is still our largest offering now, um, domestic virtual assistance, and um, bookkeeping, which is still another huge part of our business uh, today. And then we tried some other things that were super niche to the church space that didn't work, but that's business. You know, you try some things that work, you can try some things that don't. Um, so we we fractionalized the model basically and, and wanted to provide a service that met a need that we couldn't find any other organization meeting at the time. So really helping people know how to work well with remote staff and teaching them how to delegate well and how to, you know, layering on some account management that even then, you know, 10 years ago and to this day sort of could set us apart from some other players in the space. So that's essentially what Belay is now. And I just remember feeling like 
I think there's something here. <laughs> I hope there's something here for this. But if not, at least we tried. You know, at least we took the risk and made the effort and, you know, and, and made it a go. Like, I just kept thinking during that season of time where I was so scared, but so excited that I lived in a trailer before. I could live in a trailer again. And as long as we're good and our kids are good, it's, it's fine. It's worth the risk. Yeah, we gave it a shot. And the, the other part of this, too, is that not only did we leave nice jobs on the same day, we cashed in our 401ks, all of our life investments to do this. So and you were all in it. Truly. Sense. Yeah. We pushed the chips on the table. You know, and it, I mean, looking back, it's like, man, that feels reckless. But at the same time, like we were desperate for change. Like we were ready, you know, and we, you know, we like, okay, if it doesn't work out, then we'll just climb back out of the hole. But right. let's do this. And um, if, if 2010 you came to both of you now, and and offered up this idea. What would you tell them? <laughs> oh, I'd, I'd high five them. I mean, yeah. it, because it it really it's not only then it's all the more now is meeting an incredible need in the market to help leaders scale their businesses with really great people around the country. And I thought it was a good idea. I know it's a good idea now, mm -hmm. and it has been insanely rewarding to have somebody that maybe works in a rural part of our country have a meaningful job of employment, working with a fortune, you know, hundred company in Chicago or, you know, some really cool person that lives in Northern California, works with an executive director doing something meaningful for a nonprofit, you know, serving them a virtual assistant or helping, you know, a business that's small with their bookkeeping needs so they can stay focused on growing their company. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, it's been so rewarding to see the stories of how we actually serve our customers. And and then also helping people have really great employment around the country. Yeah, it's been really interesting to see. You brought up this. Um, you brought up Tim's boat. You know, the four-hour yeah. work week with. Mm -hmm. It's about a dozen years old now. Yeah. Um, and still in hardcover. <laughs> the amazing. author, the author and me, like I know Tim, the author and me is so jealous of that one thing. <laughs> uh, it's like my books go to soft cover in a year. Boom, done. Um, but, but that was this point of inflection. There were a couple of sort of like major memes that came out of that. And, but one of them was this idea of, you know, like outsourcing mm -hmm. and the idea of virtual assistants. Like you said, a lot of people looked overseas for that. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like over the last decade, over the last dozen years, that's gone from this fringe idea to this fairly mainstream idea. I mean, um, you have in your company now, what, over a thousand people? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're... You're given work. You're basically putting, helping to put food on the table and roof over the head for thousands different people, while also connecting people who can can essentially help each other. So you built something really big. The numbers that you share are something like over a hundred million dollars in revenue generated by the company. Yeah, lifetime revenue. Right. Um, what I'm also curious about is having both grown your own company to this size over ten years. And you're in the business where it gives you a window into the operations, the the mindset, the the amazing good things that happen in other organizations from solar practitioners to big companies, mm -hmm. the disasters, the debacles, the delusions. Mm -hmm. um, I'm really curious. So the entrepreneur in me is, okay, so I have two people in the room who have seen so much. You have a shared data set, which is like, I'm kind of salivating at the possibility of tapping, but let me keep it. So let me just ask a few questions about that because I'm really curious. You're like when, and maybe you can even frame it in two ways. Like when you started, we all tend to, everybody starts a business with a certain amount of fact and a certain amount of assumption. Mm -hmm. And the assumption side of things, often within there, there's a subset, which is outright delusion. <laughs> um, when you look at your own journey and you look at so many of the people you've worked with now, I'm curious, what are the, what are the common patterns that you see sort of like popping up in, in that realm? Well, I mean, for me, um, you know, I sold every single contract for the first 18 months of our company's history. And so, and then I've, I've obviously, I'm, I'm a sales guy at heart. So I, I pay close attention to what prospects want, but most of them are hitting the lid of their personal capacity whatever that is. They could be an executive in a big company. They could be a startup. It could be working in a nonprofit, whatever those things are. But they've, 
they've hit this personal lid and they just, they cannot seem to get past it and they keep bumping up against it. And so they realize, okay, this is now more than me. Now what, how in the world do I delegate? Mm-hmm. And what we've seen historically is most leaders just, they've just not been taught how to delegate, how to get out of the way of themselves and start to meaningfully give away aspects of who they are as a leader to other people so they can foster that. So we've, we've, taught that as we've gone we've built in an account management layer in our business with our folks that teach these principles to leaders and they go wow you know this is this is new news to us like we didn't even know how to begin the topic of delegation and so that's it's hitting a little of the personal capacity i think as a as a biggie that we see yeah mm-hmm. do you feel like part of that challenge is that we um we aren't realistic about what where that lid exists Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of business owners start with a great idea and then sometimes it takes off and grows very quickly and the need for resources becomes really apparent. But there's a transition that has to happen from just adding resources to your team to really leading an organization. And I think that changes how you delegate and what you delegate and what your meetings look like and you know what your strategic plans are for growth. I think that evolves over time, but I think a lot of leaders um, struggle with knowing even where to find great people that they can trust. And then once they find great people they can trust, it's like, okay, can I really trust them? And they have to validate incrementally along the way. Like, I'm going to give you this. And if this goes well, then I also have that that I can give you. And it's really um, helping them find great resources, learn to trust and build on onto it from there. Yeah. And, and you have to own the fact that you are not actually capable of doing what you think you're capable of yeah. doing. Because like, I think we all just were like, oh yeah, like I can handle more than that. Yeah. Nor is um, it wise because you're your time and your energy is worth something, Yeah, you know, and you shouldn't be doing all of the things to run your business. Like there are other people who can come in, you know, for a lot less than it would cost you to do it with your own time. And, and you can offload those things to them and they love doing it, you know, and they could do a lot of faster and often a lot better than you could. Yeah. yeah. The, the real simple idea was, um, this last fall, I said, I'm the guy who made about a million bucks a year. And I said, I want you to divide that by 2080 which is like a full-time job. And he goes, okay. And I go, that's basically what you're paying somebody to book your travel for you, which is you when you do it yourself. And he's like, oh my gosh. Like, do you like booking your travel that much? He's like, no, I don't. And so there's somebody out there that can do it for 40 bucks an hour, you know? And and it's just taking that number that, you know, you make on an annual basis, divide it by 2080. And you're like, oh, I wouldn't pay that, you know? And, but they, they just, they like to do it. And there's this really interesting thing we've witnessed over the years where the reason why a leader holds on to certain things is because they get a sense of completion that they otherwise never mm. get in their day-to-day because oh, they're, they're solving problems that are nine months in the making and they never feel like they've solved anything. So if they can get that airline ticket or mow their yard or whatever that thing is, they feel like this dopamine hit of like i finished something i checked a box today <laughs> yeah and so that that drives them to do these little things that they don't they just need to fight and resist that urge right okay so i get that and because i felt it <laughs> many 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 times and and but at the same time i do feel like we we have a need to have that feeling sure you know so so the need to feel like we're actually we're completing something and and something that's meaningful to us, right? That that's not going to go away. So even if you are able to, and and I have I've experienced this personally, I will continue to experience this because I'm still learning the lessons, and I have worked with and and seen this unfold in so many other people. We still have that need. So even if you find amazing people to bring in who are so much better at these granular things than that that we're doing along the way. So we're handing off all of these opportunities for us to get the completion hit. So how do we continue to get it ourselves? Like, how do we reorient? What's the mindset shift that we need to make so that we can continue to get that? I think you just have to imagine what else you could be doing with that free time. It's not like you won't be able to check anything off your list, but maybe there's this group of tasks that you do all the time that if offloaded to somebody else, you could free up your energy 
to create something new or start something different or do something personally for yourself that isn't work related that you could still get that, you know, completion, that satisfaction of checking off the box. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the greatest things that I've seen through Shannon and I just delegating aspects of our role to other people is that we accomplish just much more. It's a factor of so many, I can't even put a number on it. It's just, and so we achieve a lot every day through giving up ourselves to others so that they can do those things. And I'm convinced that we've been able to scale to the level that we have in our business over 10 years by just deciding daily, we're going to let other people do it. We're going to empower them. We're going to resource and equip them and just get out of their way. There's no way Belay would be where it is today without that mindset, for sure. No way. Yeah. And and I guess you also, like a part of this equation also that I know is often struggled with is, is the idea that there exists a person out there. (laughs) <laughs> who somehow is wired to wake up in the morning and love the work that you hate mm-hmm. to totally. do. Yep. Like the, I think when we think about that, we're like, how is it even possible that that person exists? I mean, how can anybody like this type of, th- I'm, I'm that yeah. way with bookkeeping. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. Me too. <laughs> I, I'm like, there are so many really hard things that I love to do that people look at me and they're like, that's evil. How could you love to do it? <laughs> For me, I like, I like a bookkeeping and I'm like, Okay, so I know how I feel about this. And then we like you find people and they're like, they just love it. It's yeah. like they light up. It's a puzzle. Mm-hmm. And it's all about like figuring out and it's and it's organizing and systems and processing, creating orphan chaos. I think part of the thing that gets in our way so often often too is we can't conceive of, of the fact that people really do love to do the things that we don't like. Mm-hmm. I love that you said that. We say that all the time. Like just because you hate doing it doesn't mean that somebody else doesn't love it. You know, that's a, that's a key reason why you should give it away to somebody else because it's an energy drain on you and it's probably not the best and highest use of your time. Yeah. We get, we get about 2000 resumes a month right now for our team to call through. And I'm, I mean, there's, I mean, just that alone, there's just people that like this type of work Mm -hmm. and it's, it's meaningful work especially when they're working for a leader that's doing meaningful things. You know, not only can they do their work, but they can tie that off to a result that's bigger than them. Uh, it, it, it's so rewarding for folks like that. Yeah. It's a really interesting point because especially in the context of what you're both doing, because you zoom the lens out and somebody could take a look at the company that you built and say, it's a staffing company. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, like, yes, you know, like you're generating a lot of revenue, you're employing a lot of people and, but at the end of the day, like this is not big purpose-driven work. This is not a big meaningful thing. It's a staffing company. You're yeah. <laughs> filling a basic B2B need, mm-hmm. right? And, and you brought up this idea of if it's meaningful work. So often I think you can take something like this and not understand that underneath it, there are ways to layer in this really profound sense of meaning in what you're doing that gets you past this I'm just showing up yeah. and like generating a certain amount of revenue and selling a certain amount of accounts. We we always say we do not work with widgets. We work with people and we're actually having a positive impact on people's lives, whether it's the contractor that we're working with that would not have otherwise been able to find a job because her husband's in the military and they're moving all the time, or it's the client who his marriage is on really thin ice because he's swallowed up with his career and building his business and he hasn't been able to take his wife on a date in six months. We we feel like the work that we do matters in both those scenarios. And and we have so many stories of true life change, which sounds dramatic and I don't mean for it to, but it's it's true. true. Life change that has been experienced by finding an opportunity that works for both sides, for for somebody to provide the service of being an assistant or a bookkeeper and somebody to receive the help and the benefit and the freedom that that comes along with that on the on the client side. And it and it's important, like the name belay means something to us, like a rock climbing belay, right? I, I, I climbed for a bunch of years. Okay. So, I, so I you get, get it, it, right? But so for those who don't know, it has a very specific meaning in the context. It's basically the one that's in a support role serving the one that's climbing higher. And I climb, and so I, mm-hmm. I know what that means to be on belay and to have somebody that really has got your back, you know, and, and it's risky when you're in the lead climb position and you, and you know that somebody's got that rope and is going to, you know, yank on it or, you know, hold tight when you slip. 
And a lot of these folks, you know, that are out there in their life and they're climbing their career, or they're starting this new company or whatever it is, we serve in a support capacity to them in a very meaningful way. And so, you know, while we've had great success and we could talk metrics and all that with our team, we talk about stories. Mm-hmm. Stories are important and they care about that because they wrap their heart around, yeah, this is what collectively Belay is doing. And it's it's just very meaningful for us as owners, but also for the folks that are there working. Tell them a story about the client that we met at the Entree Leadership Summit and came in and talked with us during the how to work with a virtual assistant session. Yeah. So there's a really great guy. His name's Jason. He's a kind of an IT company owner in Montana and uh, overweight at the time. Um, doctor pretty much said, Hey buddy, <laughs> you're going to have to, you're going to have to square up here. Your blood work does not look good. And, you got to get this in line. And yeah. you know, you're working too much. And, and so he basically took that as, you know, a shot across the bow and he went out and, Research. okay, how do I do this? How do I start to give things up? And he came across our company. And um, through yielding things up, through delegating well, through being intentional through those things with a really great assistant. And allowing his assistant to to hold him accountable to some of the right. goals that he was setting for life change. And, and so, and you know, she's in New York, he's in Montana. And so it, it just works. And he basically, he lost a ton of weight. Mm-hmm. And he'd be the first one to tell you. And he did this actually for us in front of about 400 fo- you know, people at a breakout. He's like, your service actually changed my life. And so when we say like life change, like it really is happening in front of us. And it's so cool because do you remember that first time like when you flew a coach and you got bumped the first class? You know, like once. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you remember that though, that moment you're sitting up there and you have leg room and like, People, it's like, you know, people are playing fiddles and it's just crazy, right? You're ruined. And that's exact same thing that happens when you have a really great assistant. Like when your realtor shows you like the house that's yes. just outside of like your actual window yeah. first. Yes. You're ruined, right? Yeah. It's the same find more thing passion. though. So when you find a really great assistant and it works, you're just, you're ruined. You're like, oh, I actually get it. This is a better way for me to lead. Yeah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com So you found this this way to... um to build on this early experience that Shannon had and create a really interesting company that's flourishing in every possible way. You've been in, in business about 10 years now. Yeah. Um, you personally, so business is not always easy. Even when you're in the business where you're the people who are supposed to understand how to delegate, how to create systems, how to scale. When you're building your own business, entrepreneurs are notoriously bad at following their own advice. <laughs> I'm curious 
Again, I'm raising my hand here, yeah, yeah. <laughs> having been through a number of companies. I'm curious over over this this sort of season, where have you stumbled in in building your own vision? It took me like six months for me to have my own assistant in our own company yeah. of selling assistance. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I think there definitely have been seasons where it's been tempting to hold on to something because we feel like oh, I can't afford to turn this over yet, or you know, we haven't quite reached that critical mass, but. We've just tried really hard to hire ahead of uh, the actual needs that the company would have an opportunity to grow into that. I mean, some of my personal boundaries, you know, of like limits to my leadership have come uh, in the seasons of highest growth. I think growth can be as detrimental to a business as decline. What comes to mind when you think of that? Oh, man, I hit this existential crisis probably... Like three years into the business where it was really taking off and we were adding on team members and getting a little bit of exposure. And I just, I had imposter syndrome so bad. Like I I was back to that little girl in the trailer. I was like, this should not be my business. This should not be my opportunity. I am not enough. I am not worthy of this. Somebody else, you know, I'm living somebody else's life. And it was a it was a really weird time for me because I had never felt that. I always felt like I had pushed myself beyond my comfort zone before and been able to rise to the occasion. But for whatever reason, I just hit this this space where I just felt completely inadequate. Yeah. And um, business ownership can be kind of lonely sometimes too. And we're fortunate to have each other in it, and that helps a lot. But you know, there are some gaps that Brian can't fill for me, and vice versa. Yeah. Were you comfortable sharing that with Brian when you were going through it? Oh, yeah. I watched her navigate it, you know, and not a whole lot. I can, you know, I can support her and love her. And he's very encouraging during that time, but I had to believe it for myself. Yeah. You know, was there something you did or, or practiced or, or person you went to that, that helped you sort of like shift your mindset in that window? Yeah. I, um, and talking with, you know, one of my best friends, my roommate from college about it. She said, I really think you need to read Brene Brown's Gifts of Imperfection, right? Like I know it's so, but at the time it was not very old and it was um, exactly what I needed to read to, to, to know that it was okay for me to be in this position, to know that I was, you know, growing as a person, as much as I was growing as a leader, as much as the company was growing, like they all had to work together. And I, I took the book and my Bible and journal, and I went to a coffee shop outside of my town because I didn't want anybody to see me ugly crying as I was like working through all of this. And I journaled a lot during that time. And I went and saw my counselor and, you know, had, you know, she probably said all the same stuff Brian said to me, but I listened to her and, <laughs> Um, you know, I basically just had to settle into my identity with, with where I was, I, you know, in my role at the company. Yeah. I, I, I've seen that happen so many times I've experienced it. And I feel, I, I think the interesting thing to me is also that those thresholds never go away. Like you, you just know it, maybe it's been years, but at some point, Another one is coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. May not be the exact same thing. Totally. But it's like everything's stable. Everything is great. And you start to feel like, oh, I know everything that's knowable. And then there's like you wake up the next day. It's like, I know nothing. Yeah. You get your <laughs> rug ripped out from underneath you. Yeah. Uh, it's like you loop around to these points over and over again. And you, and you have to expand as a person to expand your organization. Yeah. Isn't that one of the huge lessons that we have to keep coming back to? We keep looking outside and granted, like you can do all sorts of great things outside of yourself, but fundamentally you will always hit that ledge where there's nothing else to do outside. That's the unlock key. You're like, and, right. and whatever the next round of outside stuff to do is not going to become available to you until you personally you know, or interpersonally figure out, okay, so how do I get myself to this next place? But we don't like that. <laughs> but it's a billion percent true. It really, yeah. and I've seen it more than just me. You know, Brian and I have had the privilege of mentoring uh, other business owners in a really intimate setting over the years. And and we've seen it in other leaders too. It's just a, it's a gift of leadership. 
Yeah. Brian, yeah. have you experienced anything similar? Yeah. You know, in, in our relationship and in our business, I'm the rubber meets the sky and she's the rubber meets the road, you know? And so I'm constantly out casting vision and this is where we should go. And, and, um, and, and I got to a place, it was in 2016 where I pretty much broke Shannon and, and pretty much our company because we were changing so much. And, um, fortunately it, it did pay off in the long run, but it, it was very hard to take so many people through a change that was so abrupt. Um, so I've learned a lot about pacing of change. Um, while I, I, I can embrace change, let's just go and let's just do it. I, I also needed to learn as a leader that this change affects a whole organization of people and it impacts its brand and it impacts, you know, the market and, so that that to me was actually a pretty hard thing to navigate once I like realized like hey slow down like you can't this thing is of size now you just can't you're not you know you're not it's not you and Shannon you just you know switch on a dime like you there's so many lives at stake and so you've that was a that was you know, an aha moment for me that I I needed to be wise with how we navigated change in our company yeah it's like the boat analogy right if you, you take a 19 foot ski boat and turn yeah. it on a dime. You, know, you take a two thousand foot long, and it's it's it, not yeah. happening. No. <laughs> um, you know, it's a whole different world. Um, but when the person who's steering that that ship is personally capable of that sort of like mass and fast disruption, can be really frustrating. Yeah, for you to be personally ready. Yeah, but know that you're going to have to wait months, maybe years, to move a lot of other people through a process in a way which is humane to them. Yeah. And it's, it's so insanely frustrating as the, the entrepreneur in me, Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, I love building things and just go, why don't, why can't we, you know, what's taking so long? <laughs> and I'm realizing, well, there's a lot at stake and, you know, I've matured too in my leadership and really frankly, as a husband through that experience. Yeah. Which was my other curiosity because you are, you know, you're, you're, you're moving through this, not just as business partners, but life partners and mm -hmm. parents. Yeah. So everything is all together, all at once. How how do you, as as a couple, as partners in life, how do you navigate keeping that relationship sacred hmm. while simultaneously being honest and doing the things you need to do from a business standpoint, supporting each other? Because that is that is a really hard dance. My my wife and I have been in business together for many years through different hmm. iterations in different companies. And even before that, she, when she was in a larger company, she would hire me to do certain work for them. So we've been doing this dance for a really long time. And a lot of people have looked at us and they're like, how do you even do that? And yeah. they're like, wait, you literally see each other all day, every day. Yeah. <laughs> and you're working from home right. too, right? Yeah. Right. I mean, our team is remote also. Yeah. So like, this is our office. Yeah. Um, I'm curious how you do that dance. Just I'm personally. curious how you do it too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we have always from the beginning wanted our work and our lives to be fluid. You know, that's part of the reason we took the leap and started our company is that we wanted autonomy and freedom. We wanted to work hard, but we were really comfortable even early on integrating all of it. Um, from working from home to not setting boundaries of these are our work hours, these are our family hours, but we lean much more toward integration than we do separation. That said, there have definitely been some really stressful seasons in the business where it's like, I can't talk about it one more minute. So let's just sit down and watch TV and remember that we're married. You know, like we'll have those times, but. They're, you know, honestly, they're, they're few and far between, and they're usually around really big, stressful decisions that we have to make in the business. Yeah. I, I think for, you know, for us, we've, you know, we're not doing business for the sake of business. We're, our long range vision is a great marriage. So we're aiming at something that's way beyond these businesses that we have, that they're vehicles for our family success, but we're aiming at a great marriage. You know, and we have this idea, we've, we've actually put imagery around it of us being on the beach in our 70s and 80s. We still like each other. We're having fun with each other. Uh, we're, you know, we have, we're, our bodies are in good shape so we can enjoy, you know, those parts of marriage and all that that comes with it. And then our kids are adults at that point and they're, you know, well-adjusted adults and they're, they're, you know, contributing to a great, you know, to society. 
And that's what we're aiming at. And so these, these things in the moment, these decisions, they're, you know, they're important and we need to make good, wise next decisions. But what we're aiming at ultimately is a great marriage. And that's kind of how we, we look at that. So when a decision comes up, we're like, is this, does this prop up or does this support the vision we have for us as a couple? Yeah. Do you, have you instituted any, um, non-negotiable practices? Um, it's funny. I had years ago when we were actually, we started out filming this show and, um, we're out in Colorado actually sitting down with Brad Feld, who's uh, a VC. Um, and for a while his life was, he was just maniacally, like every waking hour was bound up in what he was doing. He was traveling around, helping companies. And he realized that um, his, his first marriage fell apart and he, he mm. loved his, his wife, his current wife, and he didn't want that to end. And they sat down together one morning and they made these commitments to do two things. I think they called it like three minutes in the morning, no matter what. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it, and, and she literally said to him, she's like, you have three minutes, right? <laughs> <laughs> you can give me that, right? right? It's like, come on. <laughs> Um, and then once a month, they would do these things that they called life dinners, where they would go to a restaurant, they would get a bottle of wine, they would just sit there for hours off, and they would exchange gifts, sometimes big gifts, sometimes just something that let you know I was thinking about you. Mm-hmm. And they would talk about life and their relationship and their dreams and their visions and their struggles. Sometimes it was fine and they would laugh. Sometimes there were a lot of tears, but that became sacred. And, um, and Brad, even knowing that his business life would sometimes go like seasonally bonkers. He had something like an 18% carve out where he could miss, you know, like a certain percentage <laughs> of this because they pre-planned it, yeah. um, which I, but I thought this, it was a beautiful, really thoughtful. Okay. So like, what are we committing to that is sacred that will make sure that, that this vision that you've just described for your, you know, like marriage is mm-hmm. like the paramount thing stays sacred. I'm curious whether you have, whether there's anything like that that you found in your life that are sort of like these repeated rituals or things that you commit mm-hmm. to. We have monthly dates. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of it is during a trip, you know, N- not a business trip, but like a Brian and Shannon Just trip. a couple trip. Just get out and go. Um, and some of it's just, you know, when we're home. And um, most Wednesdays we'll have lunch and not talk about work during that time. And then on Thursday mornings we have our owners meetings, just the he, just he and I, where we'll review our family calendar, upcoming events or travel that we have planned or talk about work at that time. Not that that's the only time we could talk about it, but it's like carved out for it. And then with regard to our kids, so our daughter right now is 14, our son is 11 and about a year, I guess it's been about a year now. A year ago, we read Three Questions for a Frantic Family by Pat Lanchoni, which is basically taking the principles from The Advantage and applying them to your family. And so we, you know, for a two to six month span, we'll have a family rally cry. So it's like, what are we all aiming toward as a family? And what makes the Miles family unique? So we have a mantra that we'll, you know, we've created and we'll review I, we're such nerds as I'm saying this. Like, this is the most nerdy thing ever. I'm sorry. Well, it is, but our kids love this. Oh my God, as much as so I much. do. It, and, yeah. then, and then under that, we have our defining objectives. So like, what are the things Truly, that happens. each member of the family contributes to our rally cry? And it, and it gives, and we meet about it, you know, maybe 30 minutes every other Sunday. So it's not a real intensive time, but it is a time of alignment for our family. You know, are we, are we doing what we said that we were going to do? Are we all working toward the same goal. So I think between all of those things, it really helps um, create some rituals that remind us, like Brian said, of our ultimate vision and uh, enables the business to be a good vehicle and a conduit toward that, but not consume our lives. Mm, I love that. Such amazing modeling for the kids too. I mean, both to watch how your commitment to these things and also be a part of it. It's like, hey, you, this is not just us professing like this is that the way things are, but we're like let's all be a part of this. Like right. you contribute, you have a voice in this, mm-hmm. and also a sense of if you make a commitment, there is this you know like accountability yep. that yeah. goes along with it. I love that. So this feels like a good place for us to also start to kind of come full circle in our conversation. I'm talking about the bigger picture stuff. So the name of this is Good Life Project. So 
if I offer up this phrase to live a good life? And I'm curious in, in, individually, what comes up for each of you? Well, I'm personally doing that. I mean, in the sense of providing, you know, together we're providing meaningful work for people. And I think that there's something really great about having the opportunity to work somewhere meaning. We're creating new opportunities for new businesses that we're involved in. Um, we're meaningfully contributing to our kids' lives and we're pulling them into what mom and dad do. We still very much love each other and like to be around each other and value each other's differences. And for me, especially, the older I get, the more I'm grateful that she's different than me. I mean, life would be so boring if we were the same person. And so I truly am really appreciating that all the more of who she is and her uniqueness and that we're not two people like merging identities. We're actually really kind of contrast each other in a, in a beautiful way. I'm incredibly grateful for the opportunity to mentor uh, folks and, um, you know, hopefully uh, it creates a great legacy when it's all said and done. For me to live a good life is to really love other people and, and find unique ways to serve them, whether it's through opportunity or, you know, giving or assistance or whatever. It's, I think that the good life isn't about me. Mm. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks also to our fantastic sponsors who help make this show possible. You can check them out in the links we have included in today's show notes. And while you're at it, if you've ever asked yourself, what should I do with my life? We have created a really cool online assessment that will help you discover the source code for the work that you're here to do. You can find it at sparkatype.com. That's S-P-A-R-K-E. T-Y-P-E.com or just click the link in the show notes. And of course, if you haven't already done so, be sure to click on the subscribe button in your listening app so you never miss an episode. And then share, share the love. If there's something that you've heard in this episode that you would love to turn into a conversation, share it with people and have that conversation. Because when ideas become conversations that lead to action, that's when real change takes hold. See you next time. <laughs>